0: Hello, and welcome to episode 59 of The Cognicast, a podcast by Cognitech Inc. about software and the people that create it. I'm your host, Craig Andera. Uh, I had a few things I want to mention to you today. Uh, it, specifically, I want to mention um, that the show, this, The Cognitech, uh, sorry, The Cognicast, has a new home. Um, as you might be aware, um, we have been hosting the show on thinkrelevance.com, which is the website for Relevance, the company that we uh, uh, were before we merged to become Cognitech. And I have finally gotten around to doing the work to um, schlep the show over to uh, cognitect.com. So we're going to be retiring um, ThinkRelevance.com as a home for the podcast. You can now find all things CogniCast at cognitect.com slash podcast. Uh, the feed should redirect, so you, there shouldn't really be anything that you need to do if you're already subscribed. But if you were visiting us on the web, um, you'll want to make sure that you go to the new home at cognitect.com. Thinkrelevance.com/podcast. Um, I'll keep posting episodes on the thinkrelevance.com blog for a little while, probably for a little while anyway, um, just in case people haven't gotten the message right away, but uh, really that's the new home and, and uh, people should move over there. Again, if you're subscribed through iTunes or whatever, there should be nothing you have to do. Uh, fingers crossed, (laughs) since I haven't actually pushed the button as I record this, but I think we'll be able to get you redirected over there without any trouble. Um, While we're talking about Cognitech.com, you should swing by. It's a pretty nice looking website if I do say so myself, and I can since I didn't have anything to do with the visual design. That was on our wonderful, highly talented web team that got that put out. Um, But the thing that might interest you there is we have a bunch of new content there, including uh, most specifically some case studies um, that talk about people using our favorite technologies, including Datomic and Clojure. And, uh, you know, if you're in an organization where you're trying to bring those things in, uh, case studies can be very persuasive for the higher up, uh, since they can see people succeeding with that stuff. So, you know, swing over there and check it out. Um, and on that note, related note, um, we would love to hear your story of success um, with Clojure or with Datomic. Um, if you would like to tell us about it, you can email me at podcast at uh, Dot com. Uh, let us know that you're interested in sharing your story, maybe give you a couple of details, and uh, we would love to, to get that information from you. So uh, feel free to email us. That's podcast at cognitech.com. Looking forward to hearing from you. Um, that's about all I have for now. So we will move on to episode 59 of the Cognicast. Make a difference, give your dreams to me
1: Just like the television shows Join the army, get ahead
0: Okay, cool. So welcome, everybody. Today is Friday, June 20th in 2014. And this is the Cognacast. And today on the show, we have once again, uh, Michael Nygaard. Welcome to the show, Mike. Hi, nice to be back. Yeah, we're glad to have you. Uh, we have fun stuff to talk about today. And I'm, I'm there's always the very strong possibility when you're involved that other interesting things outside of what I have in mind will come up as well. Before we get to any of that, uh, I think you know the drill, I think most of our listeners do too, which is that we start the show with a song, and our guest is the one that picks that song. What are we playing you in with?
1: So right now we are hearing Bittersweet, The Bomb.
0: Bittersweet, The Bomb. Uh, is that uh, Who's that by? I'm not familiar with the song. Well, the band is Bittersweet. The Bomb is the, uh, the piece. Cool. Uh, it's, uh, what, how would you characterize that if you can?
1: I would characterize it as a modern take on Tropicalia
0: okay all right okay if i knew what tropicalia was i would probably get more out of that. Is, that is that i didn't know it either until i heard this group okay so that maybe the piece speaks for itself but i'm a little curious is that like a classic i guess people are hearing it and i can't hear it right now so maybe it's fairly obvious but is that like a, a classical piece from
1: no no it'd be more like from the 60s it was a sort of a latin infused but uh uh american safe uh style of music what uh, what Bittersweet brings to it is a really subversive sense of humor and some biting lyrics. Cool.
0: Well, I'm super looking forward to hearing that uh, as, as people are hearing it right now. But let, let's move on to um, things technical. Um, and specifically, the, the the main thing, or at least the first thing that I'd like to talk to you about today is something that we've mentioned on the show many times, but I don't think that we've ever... Really done a, a deep dive on, uh, namely simulation testing, and I uh, had you on because I know that you and and not just you, but um, perhaps you in particular have been doing a fair amount of work with and around this. I'll call it a technique um, lately, and so I thought we we could we could have you on and we could we could. I've done a little bit of myself, but I thought we could have you on and we could we could talk a bit about it. Sure, that
1: would be fun. I, I've been diving deep into it, so. Uh, happy to talk about the experiences.
0: Okay, cool. Well I'm, I'm sure you've had experience, um, since it is kind of a a technique that not everybody has come across, I'm sure you've had the experience of explaining it to people who haven't encountered it before. So maybe we can just start there with you explaining to our audience what this thing called simulation testing is and how it compares to other things that they may have encountered.
1: Sure, and, and if you think it makes sense to tackle it this way, I'll, I'll try and describe it with a summary then compare it to other techniques and then maybe come back to the summary and see why we summarize it that way. Sounds great. Okay. So the summary is, simulation testing is a uh, randomized but repeatable test against a running system that uh, does not attempt to validate actions as they happen, but validates everything globally at the end of the test. Um, So to, to put it in context and to compare it, we can think about unit testing, and sort of handwritten specs, you know, cucumber-style specs, or BDD, as all occupying a space that we call example-based testing. Uh, That is, I choose some inputs, I pass it to the system, and I look to see if I got the expected output for those inputs. And we use that a lot when, you know, we're sort of exploring the solution space, or we're collaborating with our stakeholders. Uh, So, you know, BDD is, is known as a pretty good communication tool. But there's only so much it can tell us about how much, how well the system works. And the question of unit test versus integration or functional test is really just about sort of the uh, scale that you're running at. They're all cl- instances of example-based testing. The other style of testing is generally... Sorry, sorry. Um, I, just, I just want to jump oh, yeah. in there. Yeah, because
0: example-based testing, I understand to mean that you say for this particular input, 3 or this file, I get this particular output, this XML or the number 17. Is that what you mean by example? Yeah, yeah,
1: exactly. So if I'm testing addition, you know, I test what happens if I add 7 and 8 and I'd better get 15. And the way that I know that it's 15 is because, you know, I'm doing that math through a separate channel and just telling the test that that's the right answer. The, the reason that it becomes a, a question mark for us is, you know, typically you pick a few interesting examples. Maybe I say, what happens if I add zero? Uh, Because that's the identity element and something different should occur. What happens if I add a negative number? If you're particularly imaginative or you've been burned enough, you'll say, what happens if I add one to int max? Um, What do I get back then? Uh, Or what happens if I add int max to int max? Uh, Do I get zero, one, negative int max, an exception, whatever? Likewise, if you're testing something with a string, you know there are a few obvious things that you try. You try uh, a string with zero characters in it, or a string that's all white space, or a null. Those are all examples, right? You're giving the system an example, and you have an example of the output, and you're comparing them. Um, the other style is is called property-based testing, and there are um, there's a plethora of of techniques and frameworks here. Uh, some particularly well-known ones are would be uh, quick check and uh, test generative. So these these rely on randomizing inputs and uh, comparing the results against uh, some kind of a definition of the properties that the system should exhibit. So the, the canonical example is after sorting a list, the first element should be the smallest element. And if I drop that, then the first element should be the smallest element. And if I drop that, then the first element should be the smallest element and so on until I've exhausted the list.
0: Yeah, and we had Reed on the show, Reed, uh, Reed Draper, talking about SimpleCheck a bit. So people might be familiar with that uh, implementation.
1: Oh, yeah, fantastic. I, I love SimpleCheck. It's now uh, renamed test.check. Right, uh, right. And it's sort of been adopted into Clojure Contrib. Uh, that's actually sort of one of my default testing libraries now. I, I bring it in on every project. Yeah, so randomizing the inputs and then asserting these properties about the result. What simulation testing adds to this is the idea that I'm testing from outside the system and I'm running through my entire set of actions. So, you know, if I'm looking at a banking system, I do thousands and thousands and thousands of transactions and then I validate everything at the end. So, I'm not aborting the test with a failure. Uh, The first time I get back a result that looks incorrect, Uh, I'm running through everything and then I'm running through all my validations so I can see what properties hold and what properties don't hold. For something like a banking system, uh, I might say every individual transaction returned successfully and returned within two milliseconds and globally all the money into the system matches all the money out of the system down to the penny. That last one is not something that you can verify sort of as you're going through every test. You really have to do it at the end of a test run. And so that's, that's a nice way of being able to check individual uh, actions as well as the cumulative effect of all of them.
0: Right, right. And I kind of, you can kind of see where the word simulation comes from in, in the simulation testing in the sense that you're, you're driving the whole system, what you're simulating You're not really simulating the system. The system is running like it's, you know. Yeah,
1: it's the real system. You're simulating the rest of the world. Right, right.
0: Okay, cool. Yeah, that makes sense. I guess the one question that pops into my mind is, and I haven't been able to decide this myself, is if you consider these types of tests, you know, um, um, example-based individual tests like unit tests, example-based property tests, and then something like simulation testing, I I can almost imagine like a, a grid where on one axis you could have, you know, example versus property Mm-hmm. And the other axis might be some other dimension, which is, you know, a randomized automated input or input space exploration or some, something. And like unit tests would be down in one corner with individual inputs and, uh, you know, uh, I, I don't know, how, is, is that or is it more of a spectrum? Like how would you characterize the, the space if you can?
1: Well, you you know me, every space is (laughs) many-dimensional. Of course. (laughs) Uh, So example-based versus randomized input is definitely one of the big obvious things that you'll notice. Another one that really matters is the degree of integration or the degree of realness in the system that you're testing. So one thing about uh, simulation testing is you are hitting a live, running, more or less complete system. It may not be feature complete or functionally complete, but you know you're you 're going through all the components of the architecture of the target system uh, so it 's not like a unit test where you 've isolated everything else there there 's no attempt to to do that kind of isolation here uh, I should revise that it 's not that there 's no attempt to do the isolation. you isolate the non deterministic exterior parties, so if you 're right. testing a system that calls out to some web service. You know, you don't actually hammer your third-party service providers every time you run a SIM. uh, You you put something in place that replays responses.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. Maybe we can can talk about this later, but I've actually been worked on a a system that is using a small-scale simulation test. It's it's not... We can go into the differences, but we actually do hit our third parties. And that comes... Yeah, we do. And that actually, I think, drives back to... One of the things that you said early on, which is um, you talked about randomized but repeatable inputs. right? And, that, and as a result, that's something that we do not get out of the system is is deterministic behavior.
1: Yeah, that's um, interesting. Yeah. Um, I think I would tend to uh, – the the benefits that I would get from exercising the third party would be seeing how they hold up under load <laughs> and seeing how my system responds with different – uh, sort of response characteristics from the other end. I, I might prefer to do that with a playback machine where I can inject latency uh, under my control and see how my system responds.
0: Yeah, actually, that, that is the direction that we're headed with that particular system. But I, I, I just mentioned it because um, I think it might uh, lead back into that uh, randomized deterministic aspect that you were talking about, the randomized but repeatable aspect that you were talking about at the beginning.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Sorry, I didn't mean to preempt you.
1: That's all right. Um, I think I was enumerating dimensions, but I hit the interesting ones. <laughs> okay. Um, but something that you mentioned, or, or the fact that you've got another way of doing this, is one of the interesting things about this technique. I mean, I, I I keep calling it a technique because, you know, there's not just one way of doing it. It's a style of testing that has a few different manifestations. Uh, we did open source a library called Simulant that helps you manifest simulation testing and helps you uh, build a simulation testing system. But you know, that's, that's just one way of doing it. There are many others.
0: Yeah, and I've used Simulant specifically a few times. And the, 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 one of the things that struck me is um, that I think you can just, we've talked about the fact that you could break this up a bunch of ways. One of them is along the dimensions you mentioned, but another is you could just look at it as a spectrum, um, which I guess is just a way of collapsing into one dimension where that dimension is sort of level of effort. And I think simulation testing, at least in my experience, is the opposite uh, end of the spectrum from something like unit tests. So a unit test is very straightforward to write. You know, you call the function, you pass in one, you check that you get three back, you're done. Um, simulation testing, um, at least when I've done it, um, has been something that has required um, a lot of thinking, a lot of setup, a lot of uh, time to get right. Uh, now. Hopefully, and it has been true when I've done it, the payback, the corresponding payback has been, you know, commensurate with the input, the effort, level of effort put in. Like, as you were mentioning, there are things that you can check with a simulation test that you cannot check, no matter how many unit tests you have, because you get global knowledge of what happened. But But it isn't... Um, the sort of thing that you can sort of take on lightly. Like, you don't walk up to the code and go, oh, I'm going to spend an hour putting a simulation test. At least... Yeah, I, definitely has... definitely not. I, I think there are things we can
1: do to make it uh, lower effort to get started. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one thing that I think pays back with simulation testing that's not obvious at the beginning mm-hmm. is keeping the tests up to date. So, I mean, uh, you've done load testing before, a lot of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I've done load testing before, and... I get frustrated at constantly having to wait and re-script the tests for whatever our latest application release is because in those types of tests, you typically write the whole script more or less by hand or with some kind of record and playback mechanism. I think we get really good compression in simulation testing because we have a small model that represents all the traffic that we expect to see. So I I did a project at the beginning of this year where we actually we used your library, Craig, uh, causatum, mm. to generate state transitions, and so we had you know a pretty small data structure that defined the states that the uh, client of this system could go through, and the odds of going to another particular state and the the time delay, and from that model we can generate as much traffic as we want and as you know as big a script as we want. Uh, so as the target system evolves, it's really easy to just update the model and create a new script. Whereas if you're re-scripting, you, know, you, you almost have to employ a full-time re scripter to, to keep your functional tests up to date. Right. And that's actually why a lot of companies that start off with functional tests abandon them because the cost of keeping them up is
0: pretty high. So that, that uh, cost reduction you're talking about, I, I believe, um, you can correct me if I'm wrong, I believe it falls out of a, a word that you put out there, uh, model, which um, mm-hmm. at least in simulant and I think more broadly in simulation testing has a pretty specific meaning. I wonder if you could talk about um, the model and its relation to like the other, th- other bits of data that are in uh, a simulation approach.
1: Sure. So the model is really... Uh, like the the nucleus where this all starts, Uh, it's typically going to be uh, small, like a set of parameters, the state transitions that I talked about. You know, something that describes the way an external entity would interact with the system. So I'm not modeling the interior of the system itself. And that that is a distinction between this and, say, QuickCheck, where you are modeling the interior of the system and how it reacts to changes. This is modeling the exterior. So what kind of uh, pages would people visit on a website? Uh, What kind of API calls would be allowed? And if you want, you can restrict your model to only the allowed sequence of API calls. Uh, But if you've seen the way clients behave in the real world, you'll probably allow a lot of randomness in the sequence (laughs) Uh, Because, you know, clients don't always behave the way they're supposed to. So then you take that model and you run it through a generator. And the purpose of the generator is actually to introduce the randomness. So you'll take the generator and say, um, I've got this model for how clients call my API. Now give me 10,000 different client interactions. And I'm going to record all those. I'm using the model. Well, I mean, there are many different ways you can express the model. We used a Markov model for the API generator that I was talking about. We've also talked about uh having sort of a little Bayesian state machine trained from real traffic. So if you've got an existing system, you can use you know, yesterday's news to derive a model and then generate, you know, plausible but fake traffic of any volume that looks like yesterday's traffic.
0: So, right. So that's actually an interesting point, I think, which is that you've talked about these two bits of, uh, of data, although maybe we haven't been explicit about the fact that one of them is data. So you've got the model, which is like some parameters, users arrive on average once every three seconds, It's that type of thing. Mm-hmm. And you've got, um, then you said you mentioned the test. Um, I forget if you said script or whatever, but there's this, yeah, the script, right. That itself is actually data. You're not talking about taking the model and using it to power the simulation directly. Like, you don't say, my input is yeah. a model, my output is a bunch of calls to the system. You're actually. Yeah,
1: that's, a, that's a really good point. Go ahead. Yeah, we, we do sort of intermediate each of these stages uh, with a database. So, yeah, the, the script that we generate can be reused as often as we like we're not directly calling the system at hand. So you can generate the script in advance and and actually inspect it and say, you know, does this make sense? Is this realistic? You can play it back at different speeds. So maybe you say, well, what if we, you know, hit the system twice as fast as we've ever observed in the past? Uh, Something along those lines. And that's a key part of the repeatability. So I can run a sim detect a bug, fix the bug, and then rerun exactly the same sim uh, and and confirm that the bug is fixed. So there is a separate component that takes the script and then executes it and does actions against your target system. So the script execution is sort of a generic thing, but how to interact with your target system uh, really depends on your application. Maybe it's HTTP calls, maybe it's I don't know, some socket-based protocol or messages in a queue. Uh, so, you know, we, we sort of split it up into the generic part and then the application-specific
0: part. Right. Yeah, I kind of think of it as there's buckets, and the data is in buckets, and then there's sort of pipes between them that run through a program. And so there's a program that goes from the model bucket to the script bucket, and then a different program that goes from the script bucket to the, and you know, that that... Program is the one that drives your system, and the bucket that it feeds into is the data that you collect during the during the run of that particular during that particular run.
1: Yeah, that's a good way to think of it. Um, almost like you could draw a data flow diagram.
0: <laughs> Nobody does that anymore, right?
1: Tools that people
0: have forgotten about. Yeah, right. Yeah, and then there's another step too, though, right? I mean, because th- this, and I'm sure you're coming to this part, which is you, know, you have all this data. Then then comes this other part.
1: Well, there's, there's two other parts uh, that we have to talk about. Um, one is, so I've already said you're calling the target system, but we're not validating anything then. So we have to capture enough information to apply those validations. So that's usually going to be you know, some sort of a log of what the responses to our actions were and any other telemetry you need from the target system in order to tell whether it's working correctly. Mm-hmm. So this is a place where we sort of break the black box assumption. Uh, it's not truly black box because we may need to have probes into mm-hmm. the target system to get info out. So this one I did earlier this year, we actually uh, introduced new API to the target system so we could interrogate it and and get back the sort of final state. But that's really It'll almost want to capture uh, application logs as well. Right, all was... of this goes. I'm no, sorry, go no, ahead. No, please, go ahead. All of this goes into another database. And that's the database that we do our validations against. When we're writing validations, they're really just queries against a database. And the query will look something like, you know, were there any HTTP response codes that weren't 200? And if you got any back, then those are validation reports.
0: Right. So, expressing the validations becomes really simple. It's literally just a bunch of queries, which themselves, um, you know, I, I I guess in any database, but especially easy in Datomic, are are data, <laughs> right? I mean, you can store, in other words, you could store your validations as as data as well. Yeah, you could. If you you definitely could. Completely meta.
1: I haven't done that, but um, seems like it would
0: work. Yeah. Uh, sorry I, d- d- that I jumped on top of this I actually find this topic extremely interesting so I get a little excited sometimes but uh, no, no problem uh, no, please continue though I mean this is so I, I guess um, one of the interesting things is that the validations you were talking about we can go back and retroactively add them to tests that already ran right because you've recorded the data that you collected from the system and assuming that you don't need, data that you didn't collect, you could have additional validations. Is that something that you found yourself doing as you were doing your work?
1: So it is an aspect that I like. Um, we've used it occasionally, but not as often as you might expect, because at least in the the cases where I've used it, the target system was evolving uh, sort of together with the simulation test itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and because they're co-evolving you know the the case where you actually had the data that you were interested in from a previous run was was pretty infrequent I think if you were doing this against a mature system uh, maybe one that's already in production that property would become much more useful so that you could take you know a newly detected bug and find out how far back it goes uh, you know what what exposure have we had to this bug
0: yeah I've done it I've done it a little bit too the system that we're driving is HTTP input, and we've actually gone back and s- asked questions that don't show up in the automated report. Um, in our case, just ad hoc, we didn't drive them back into the simulation test. We just walked up the database and queried and said, well, for that test that ran the other day, you know, what, what were latencies like, for example, in, along this dimension that we're not reporting on currently, that type of thing? It's, it's really nice.
1: Yeah, that ad hoc uh, ability is really good. I've never been able to kind of go back and get new insight from past test runs before. Uh, but here, yeah, we, we have been able to do that. You know, we had a user token field and wanted to see, was this user token ever being reissued? Mm. Um, or uh, we detected, you know, hey, the, it looks like someone's assigning a token and then not passing it on to the registry. You know, how often is that occurring? Right, right. Uh, the uh, the response times were are, are an interesting area, too, because that's one where you might have an SLA that's expressed in percentiles. Uh, 99% of the requests have to finish in one millisecond. And by doing this kind of testing, you can record all of the response times and then check your uh, percentile SLA. Um, that's also pretty hard to do with other testing approaches.
0: Right. Yeah. If you, if you throw away the if you throw away the data, right, then it's, it's hard to go from any kind of an average back to any other yeah. projection of that data.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Um, which actually brings me to another question is, you know, uh, this sounds like a giant boatload of data. You know, you have these models, you have these tests, you have all these metrics that you're capturing. You know, you could imagine keeping everything about um, a particular, everything about all of the HTTP traffic, for example, that happens during your test. Um, and doing that for every test, so that you, know, you have the sort of n squared or mm-hmm. n, n by m you know matrix of of stuff. is Is that a challenge? Like how do you have you run into cases where you had to be selective about what to keep and has that had any you know impact or consequences later on?
1: I haven't yet um, had to be sort of aggressive about pruning. We have one that's uh, being integrated into a CI system, so it's going to be running very frequently, uh, much more often than than anywhere else. But I, I still sort of expect we're going to be able to run for six months without even needing to worry about the data space.
0: Right, and the odds of you needing this particular run from five days, <laughs> yeah, five six months, months to <laughs> <go>. <laughs> Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah, um, yeah. So we may we may downsample it to say you know we're going to keep the weekly runs or monthly or something like that. Right. Um, but that's just a, an excise operation, so I, I don't think that's going to be too difficult to deal with when we get there.
0: Yeah, we, we actually did wind up having to um, stop recording every single HTTP request, um, just because we, we were running at a high enough volume where um, it wasn't, first of all, we weren't even looking at it. Second of all, it wasn't it wasn't doing good things for us. But part of that is that we it was just easier for us to just stop doing that, rather than do something like, say, well, let's keep all of the responses, but let's maybe not put them in the database, let's put them in S3 and store an address or a, you know, some kind of pointer mm-hmm. to that data, which I think we totally could have done. And had we needed that data, which we don't, then we would still have had it and, and uh, been able to run even at the fairly high volume of test data that we were generating.
1: I think you and your client are, are kind of setting the high watermark for every dimension <laughs> that we're dealing with. Um, yeah, that, um, I look forward to when I can deal with that challenge.
0: Yeah. Right. Well, it's yeah. I see what you mean. Uh, it's yeah. It's 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 a really interesting approach. I think um, I think it's the sort of thing too that it took me a while to kind of come to grips with it. Like you, you know, you talk about it, you're like okay, oh, yeah, I'm gonna have these models. You're gonna generate tests, then we'll run the tests and I'll gap, gather data and then I'll run validations and maybe that generates data that I can record too. And that that all makes sense. But it kind of took me a, a little while to really grok that. And I suspect that as you've done the work and explained it to the people you're working with, you've come up against the same thing. Has that been the case? And and if so, like what were the things that happened or the light bulbs that went on for you or for other people that kind of made it obvious that this was a valuable approach? Because that's definitely been my experience every time I've done it.
1: Yeah, I think it's it's kind of different for different people. But um, we had a couple of events where, uh, the The first full scale simulation revealed a bug that the four full time q a people hadn 't found mm. uh in several months and so that that kind of got some people 's attention um, and then the ability to sort of update the script nearly in real time with the target system changing uh that also proved to be pretty valuable so being able to go tweak the model change the the states and you know suddenly have more gigabytes of uh, of tests. That was that was really useful.
0: Right. What do you do about um, you know bugs in your model or about bugs in your in the code that generates tests from your model? Like how does that how does that fall out? Yeah,
1: that's that's actually one of the first things that we we check is you know is this a bug in our validation or is it actually a problem? Mm. Because of course. We're writing queries, and maybe we're just writing the queries incorrectly. <laughs> right. So you know you will develop the ability, some tools, and and the ability to sort of go look at an activity log and and look at the results of an activity. That's actually helpful for pinpointing real problems when they're there. Um, but it also helps you, you know, quickly rule out or uh, confirm your model as a, uh, or your validation as a source of problems. Problems in the model are pretty easy to spot because, you know, the model is a small, relatively simple representation of the, the activity against your system. So, you know, a lot of times you can find issues there just by inspecting it or going over it with someone who knows the target system or, you know, a designer or architect of the target system. Um, because it's straightforward to express, you can just look at it.
0: Right. And then you have the option to take that model and generate a script using the same parameters. So, you know, oh, I see that the model doesn't have enough transitions from the shopping cart to abandon, but we still want to run it with the same load against the same server configuration, et cetera, et cetera. So you're able to redo all that uh, quite easily, right?
1: Yes, and sometimes you actually want to be deliberately different than reality. So, you know, if you're you're doing a what-if scenario that says, you know, what if we have a super hot item? um how do things behave or you know what if we get a flash mob hitting us what if we get ddosed what if our credit card provider is not responding mm-hmm. you know any of those things you can usually you know tweak the model uh or the generator
0: and test it out yeah that's cool what so where does the so so let's see my like i said my experience has been that you know as you, so first of all as you say um I you know hear some of the conversations. I know that we're definitely doing some work to make this easier. Um, mm-hmm. I think you know it's never going to be at the unit testing end of the effort or convenience spectrum because you're trying to do something that is inherently custom um, in a way that how does a function behave is not like that's pretty generic, right? Like a function takes input and produces output, but you know a system has behaviors and other things that are going to involve a little more thinking, but. So, 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 you know, there is some level of effort involved, but in your experience, since you've done this more recently than I have, where does the effort go? Like, if you step back and say, oh, I did the simulation testing effort, most of the time I spent went to X. Where would you say that X is, or what is it?
1: So, I think right now, there's kind of three areas that you end up spending a lot of effort, particularly with simulant. A lot of effort goes into kind of just the basic environment and plumbing, so, you know, getting to the point where I've got a main function that I can run that dispatches to each of the lifecycle phases, you know, assuming you don't just want to run all your simulations from a REPL, uh, you, you need some amount of setup. Yeah, right. Uh, I think another place that you end up spending a lot of time is writing the actions against the target system. So whatever it is, you know, internally, it's going to dispatch to some executor for an action. But then you actually have to do something. You know, you got to talk over a wire to another program. And just putting together the arguments and identifying who you're talking to and recording the results, you kind of have to do that per action right now. Uh, And then, of course, the validations are where you would like to spend all of your time. Uh, So right now it's like, you know, a third goes into each of those areas. Mm -hmm. I think there are things we can do to make. Uh, writing the actions a lot simpler. Like, a lot of these simulations are going to be running against some kind of an HTTP-based interface. So if I could just describe that interface with data and say, these are the parameters, this is the protocol, this is what you should capture, these are the fields to pull out, or, you know, here's a parser function that you can plug in to to pull out those fields, that would really accelerate that process. Uh, Because, I mean... You're making HTTP calls. There's, you know, there's kind of a way of making HTTP calls. There's not that much secret sauce you're going to bring to that. Mm-hmm. And likewise, the basic sort of project setup and main function and and that kind of thing seems like it's it's not really very specific to one environment or another. Uh, so I'd like to make that easier. Mm-hmm. I guess that was all a very long-winded way of saying. Right now, it's like one third basic plumbing, one third hooking up actions, and one third validations. And I want to eliminate the first two-thirds so that it's just the remaining third of the validations.
0: Right. And it's interesting, like I said, I've done a little bit of this at Roomkey, my client, um, but I've been watching the rest of the company, Cognitech, and we have been doing an increasing amount of this work. And so, you know, we're getting more experience. We've actually been through a fair number of projects with that either are a simulation testing project or have a significant simulation testing component I, I mean so i feel like you know the the types of patterns you're observing are stuff that we're really well on our climb up the hill on that would is that seem the same to you
1: well i mean uh, bragging just a little bit <laughs> yeah yeah i yeah. think i mean there there this is not a simple thing to describe uh, right it's it's a concept that requires some communication and then once you get into the implementation there are definitely some uh, techniques that you'll learn. Like, you know, how do I actually control randomness? What do I do with uh, values that I get back and have to, you know, hold on to for a while and then return? You know, there, there are subtleties at every step. And so, yeah, it's it's been interesting to explore this uh, throughout this year. And uh, definitely interesting. It, it would be interesting to do more of them.
0: Yeah, for sure. Uh, it, it is fun stuff because you do, I mean, anytime, you know, I, I, my background has been more around load testing than simulation testing. And the thing I always say about load testing is you are guaranteed to learn something. I mean, not just about the system or test, but learn something you never knew, you know, like, oh, mm-hmm. wow, that's how JVM memory allocation works when X, Y, and Z are true, like that type of thing. So I think it's the same, it's the same thing. It's always a learning experience.
1: It is. Um Yeah. Speaking of load testing, one of my first learning experiences is, um, first thing you should look for
0: is, is your carrier throttling your bandwidth? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yes, I actually hit exactly that with the load test I was running. I was running it out of my house. And I'm like, let's change the endpoint I'm hitting to a total no-op. So just to establish an upper bound. Right. And I did that. And I'm like, yeah. I'm pretty sure that that should be way way higher. So let's take a look at network, and sure enough, that was the the limitation. Yep. Yeah. Well, cool. So I know that you uh, you had a trajectory through the kind of description part, and then you wanted to circle back to the summary. I, I don't I don't know if we have we have arrived at that point, or if there's if there's more of the path before we come back to the starting point as you were intending. Uh, what's what's the next uh, thing you wanted to talk about?
1: Well, so the return to the summary is to say, you know, it is a a randomized but repeatable way of applying traffic to a real system running more or less in its actual environment and expressing validations of global properties. So I think uh, because of the way we've broken down each of the different components and because of how we're keeping data around at each of those components, uh, I hope it's clear now how we introduce the randomness how we get repeatability, and how we're able to validate those global
0: properties. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's super cool. So if, if someone wanted to get started with this, is there a good – I mean, I don't think there's a book, at least I haven't heard of one. How would you recommend if somebody wanted to – they're like, yeah, I've got a system. I sh- I, you know, We've got integration tests, but nah, I, I'm mm-hmm. interested in getting started. How would you recommend to people that they, that they uh, get going with this?
1: So there's a few things we've already made available online. Um, I wrote a blog post that included simulation testing. I think that was November of 2013, uh, or somewhere around there, fall, fall of 2013. Uh, we can put the link in the show notes, mm-hmm. I assume. Yep. Uh, we've also got Simulant, the, uh, the open source uh, execution engine or, or runner for simulation tests. Uh, that's available on GitHub. Uh, so that's another good way to get started. Uh, And then I'm sure we've got videos from one or another of the conferences where we've talked about this. Uh, Yeah, I know Stu Stu Holloway's been talking about it quite a bit. Right, right. Uh, And of course, you can always give us a call. I'm interested in doing more of these projects. So, uh, if you want to, you know, start bringing simulation testing into a real system, give us a shout.
0: Absolutely, we're always we're always willing. We're always happy to talk to people about this stuff. well, I'll turn it to you. What, what, else, what else have we what else have we, have we? not hit here, Mike? I mean, uh, it doesn't have to be about simulation testing. Are there other things that you have on your mind that you'd love people to know or to hear about or appearances or anything like that? Um,
1: well, I mean, we, we have a monthly post that goes out on, uh, on where to find Cognitex. That's usually the best way to locate me. Right. Um, I've got a few things coming up this fall in Europe so those will be interesting. Looks like I've got a, a nice summer vacation going, so I won't be anywhere for a little while yet. <laughs> That's cool.
0: Yeah, I, I saw you. I think it was. I think it was you tweeted the other day that the, the list we have of the stuff that Cognitex are speaking at for the rest of the year is like three pages long or something.
1: Yes, yes, that was incredible. Blew me away when I saw the whole list. It, it,
0: well, you're not a small part of that. I know that you do a fair amount of traveling and speaking, um, but yeah, it's a, it's impressive. <laughs> Again, as you say, doing a little bit of bragging, although. I, I'm definitely not pulling my weight on that on that count, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, I just it's it's such a it's it's interesting. Like I would encourage people, for my part, to just to to try. I know we said it's a it's that it is a um that there is a learning curve, but mm-hmm. I will say that the learning curve is it's twofold. It's the one uh, around understanding the concepts, and you've done a pretty good job of explaining them. But I know that I even after having. People explain it to me. I still had to sit down and, and actually work with it. And then it made sense.
1: I had the same experience.
0: Right. So there's a, just this something about it that it's either different enough or something that it does take a little bit of of just like pounding your brain against it. And then and then it, it actually hangs together very, very well. It's really cons- I don't have any trouble remembering it because the the model is – and I don't mean the model specifically we were talking about. Like the conceptual framework is, is easy enough to hang on to. Yeah. Um, But then the other piece that that is a bit more of a hill to climb is writing a full up simulation test against a real system. But I actually think that in terms of getting started, that well, we can't take away, I mean, some of the videos you mentioned are helpful. I don't think you can completely take away, if you're anything like me at least, the like having to get it. But I do think that you actually can take something like Simulant and get it started against a really small system. And that other piece, you don't have to spend weeks and weeks like getting something running. So people actually could could try this out as a way to help them understand the concept. Do you think that's a fair statement?
1: I think so. Um, you know, if you're if you're just interested in running from a REPL, then you can get going very quickly. I I also think that there's another way in or another path into uh, thinking about this that that also helps. And that's to start uh, replacing some amount of unit testing or some amount of example-based testing with property-based testing of any Hmm. flavor. So we've got test check. That's my uh, personal default choice. And the fact that you have to start thinking about the invariance of your program and ways to observe whether it's behaving correctly or not uh, definitely starts getting you into the right mindset. Uh, with you know less of the the plumbing and execution machinery, but still a valuable
0: way of uh, exploring your program. yeah, that's a good idea. I always have a long list I have yet to to do test check but um I could absolutely see that based on my experience of simulation testing as being something that would be helpful.
1: Yeah, it is really nice and uh, actually I may I may find uses for the data generators from test check even outside of the testing framework. Uh, I mean how often have you had, a desire for sample data that, you know, sort of would exercise your program or create enough volume to be interesting. Right. So the generators in TestCheck, they're like atomic generators, and then there are combinators for generators. So uh, if I have a generator that can produce a string and another one that produces an integer, I can combine them with something called a a gen tuple that will always give me back pairs of string and integer. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, I can build up combinators that give me back uh, maps, maps of maps, uh, nested lists, you know, strings drawn from particular character sets, you name it. Yeah. So you... uh, I, I would use that for creating, you know, sample data when I need a JSON interface or something like that. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, you mentioned um, CauseAtom earlier, which is, uh, the, as you said, a library that I wrote that does um, Markov chain um but with timing. So like you can say mm-hmm. these things happen with this interval and it'll return you a time ordered sequence of state tr- of states really. Um, uh, and in there I actually use, um, closure data generators, which is very, very similar in that it has generators for, you know, integers and strings and combinations of those things is a very similar idea. Yes. Well, uh, anything else we should
1: talk about today? I've kind of run to the end of my list of topics or at least the ones that uh, that I can talk about. Yeah, it. right. Well, I mean, the project all... work is is extremely fun, but um, yeah, I can't really go into detail about it, so I don't want to just tease people.
0: Yeah, although we have actually, uh, this is kind of cool. I don't know if people have seen this or not. Um, we have actually um, started adding case studies to the website, which is kind of neat. Something that um, you know, we had Roomkey on the on the podcast. We've talked to a couple other customers in the past, but uh, started to get some of that um, customer stuff or more of that customer stuff on the on the website, which is which is super cool. Because you know, yeah, we're we're nerds. We would love to talk about, you know, like oh, I did this cool thing, and here's exactly who it was for, and the problem they were solving, and and sometimes we can't do that, so it's nice. People should go check out the um, uh, the website for the case studies because I think they're a good um,
1: yeah. I, I think uh, they're good ammunition if you're trying to convince your boss to let closure into the company or to let Datomic into the company. That's right. Yeah, uh, the case studies can help with that.
0: Yeah, yes, yeah. so you said Datomic, and it's funny. I, I, uh, we, we didn't mention this, but of course Simulant um, uses Datomic. Uh, it's it, the idea is not um, inherently linked. Like the concept is not inherently linked to any particular database. But obviously, there's some nice synergy if what you're trying to do is have queries that you can store as data. To some degree, the fact that you want to remember everything is a strength, et cetera, et cetera.
1: You know, um, in many ways, Rich formed his ideas about. Uh, time and uh, representing time in data while working on a simulation testing system. So there's no accident at all that Clojure and Datomic are well-suited to building this kind of thing. That's right. Uh, Because there's a sense in which they were built in order to build this kind of thing.
0: Yeah, and and that's a good point. that You give credit where credit is due is, you know, a lot of the the ideas in um, the way that we treat simulation testing comes out of Rich's experience, Um, although... We've done a fair amount of the work now that, um, you know, was not done by Rich personally. So we're acquiring some experience uh, of our own. But uh, yeah, it was, it was definitely inspired by, as you say, some of his work on a, on a big system. So it uh, it's it's worked out well for us. Well, Mike, I uh, I know you have other things to do today, but um, I feel very, very confident in saying that we will have you on again. Um, uh, not least because I, I know some of the things you alluded to that you're working on, we can't quite talk about yet, but also because... Um, you know, uh, based on all of our conversations that we've ever had, you always have interesting things to talk about. And, uh, and I can think of a few right now that I would love to have you on to discuss. But I think maybe for today, unless you have any last words, we will go ahead and, uh, and close it down there. So any, anything to add before we go to the final question? No, I can't really think of anything. Cool. All right, then. Well, we'll go ahead and go to that final question, which, as you well know, is what song should we play out on?
1: Sure. So this one is going to be a little older, uh, it'll be Modes
0: Mussorgsky. Mus- mm-hmm. Maybe you can edit out my uh,
1: stumbles on his name. <laughs> if we had uh, to edit
0: out stumbles, you know, Ross would be forever working on me. so I <laughs> Never could, get anything Yeah, done. exactly.
1: Yeah, so it's going to be um, from pictures at an exhibition, uh, Baba Yaga's Hut, or okay. sometimes called the Hut on Fowl's Legs.
0: Awesome. Love it, love it, love it. That's coming up in the background right now. Well, I, I will thank you once again, Mike, for coming on the show. Always good to talk to you. Thanks for sharing your experience about simulation testing. Definitely want to encourage people to check that out and to, um, you know, check out the things you mentioned and to give us a shout, of course, if um, that's something that you would like help with because we are more than welcome to do that. But but thank you a ton for coming on and talking to us. It's always super fun to talk to you. Well, I'm always happy to be here. Yeah, all right, great. So we'll close it down there. Uh, thank Mike once again. Thank our listeners. This has been the Cognicast. And listening to the Cognicast. The Cognicast is a production of Cognitech Inc., whom you can find on the web at cognitech.com and on Twitter at Cognitech. Our guest today was Mike Nygard on Twitter at That's mtnygard. That's m t n y g a r d. The Cognicast is produced with help from Alex Miller, Alex War, Damian Mack, David Chalimsky, Jamie Kite, Justin Gettlin, Lake Denman, Luke Vanderhart, Lynn Grogan, Mark Phillips, Michael Fogus, Paul DeGrandis, Ryan Neufeld, Sam Unbuck, and Stuart Sierra. Episode cover art is by Michael Parento. Audio production by Russ Olson. And I'm sad to report that with this episode, we bid adieu to our producer, Sandy Ezel, who is moving on to new adventures. Thanks, Sandy. We will miss you. I'm your host, Craig Andera. Thanks for listening yeah